Today marks our transition into the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and I am genuinely excited. We get to retrace the disciples' confused but faithful following of Jesus' commands, their introduction to the Holy Spirit, and God unveiling to them the new kingdom he has in mind for them to build. This is also a chance for us to slow down and to dig into our passages in more depth. We skimmed Joshua so briefly so that we would have a good context for going into Acts. We're now going to slow down and give each passage in Acts some more detail that it deserves. If you missed last week's bridging sermon that took us from our mini-series in Joshua into this series in Acts, uh, Jeremy's excellent talk is, in, is on the website, uh, kingdomvineyard.com, and there's a podcast or listen again button. Uh, we've even put his little chart up there because we're feeling really generous. Acts is hugely exciting. It's an encouraging book. And we've come at it via the book of Joshua because we wanted to look at the differences and the similarities in the different ways that God tasked Joshua and tasks us with establishing his kingdom. In Joshua, God's people were to go and conquer a land to establish borders and cities so that a person on planet Earth could travel to a place to find God's people and God's presence. And there was a significant amount of warfare involved in getting that physical kingdom established. In the book of Acts, and for us, God's people are to carry his presence out into the world, not fighting any person, but being aware that the spiritual powers and principalities that are in control of this world are not keen on God's kingdom advancing. Our mission looks very different, but our need to be completely dependent on God's presence with us maintaining pure and right relationships with him, and seeing his power shift the battles in his kingdom's favor, those things are absolutely the same. I suggest that if we are able to hold those differences and those similarities in mind as we journey through the book of Acts, we will be all the richer for it. So now, uh, let's dive right in. My friend Brooke is very kindly going to come and read the first eight verses of the book of Acts to us uh, to give you a break from my voice. Oh, why don't I give you a microphone for that? In the first book, um, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after, the, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them after 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, Is it not... It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will, receive the, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, Samaria uh, and to the ends of the earth. Thanks, pal. Thank you so much. Good. It's a really exciting passage. 
Jesus gives the disciples their mission and their commission. He tells them what he's asking them to do and how they're going to be able to go about doing it. Both of these are found in verse 8, and these are the two titles that I offer you for this morning's talk. In verse 8, if we could have that back up on the screen, that would be lovely. You will be my witnesses, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Beautiful. You'll be my witnesses, about halfway down, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Yes, I've put them in the other order. Let's start at the beginning and set the scene. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's been meeting the disciples, spending time with them, teaching them, providing, uh, proving rather his physical resurrection by eating with them, showing them his wounds from the cross, explaining the whole Messiah resurrection thing to them, and helping them to piece together what God was up to in that whole journey that they've just been on. This is where Luke picked up the story in the book of Acts, following on from his gospel that we call the book of Luke, conveniently enough. Luke begins here as an introduction to his history of the people of God carrying the kingdom of God into the world. As a side note, commentators on this passage tend to agree that Luke was documenting the two books of the events of Jesus' life, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, for a real-life historical figure who probably adopted the name Theophilus when he became a Christian. So that's nice. Uh, Theophilus can be translated as friend of God or loved by God. But as the letter is addressed to a friend of God or someone loved by God, then you can count yourself a legitimate recipient of it. So that's nicer. Let's go back to verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So when Jesus spoke to his disciples about God and the kingdom of God, what he said mattered. Now that the crucifixion and the resurrection had happened, he no longer spoke in half-veiled terms, but he spoke to them simply and was able to fill in the blanks that they'd had before. Luke tells us in verse 3 here that Jesus teaches them about the kingdom of God. He doesn't go on into any more detail here about what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, but what he says about it elsewhere in the Gospels, this is Jesus' teaching, uh, is a good place to start. So let me offer you this definition. What is the kingdom of God? It is any place where God rules as king. When we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we worship him as we were just doing this morning, we pledge our allegiance to Jesus and to his kingdom, we are inviting his presence as our Lord, and we become little landing pads of his kingdom. His kingdom is here. He is here as our king. And with his presence comes healing, life, joy, peace. Comes all the good stuff that happens to creation when God shows up and breathes life back into it. But when we leave this place, his kingdom won't necessarily stay here. When we stop inviting him into this place here as Lord, 
and maybe others come in to use this building who have different lords, different spiritual gods that they are uh, aligned to, then this place could stop being a place where the kingdom of God is found on a different day of the week, maybe, until the next time he's invited back in here and his kingdom comes to rule. Jesus tells us that his kingdom, well, he tells us that if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When he says that, he's saying that you can see the Holy Spirit of God is active in a place, pushing out the powers of darkness. Well, if you see that, then you can see that God's kingdoms come in that place. What I'm trying to get at is that God's kingdom moves around with his people. That's why uh, I can't promise you that if you turn up here on a Monday morning, a Saturday evening, or any other day of the week, that you'll come into the presence of God. Other people might not have invited him in at that time. The borders of God's kingdom are constantly shifting. So this is a key difference between the kingdom of God that Joshua was tasked with building, with a conquering a land that had fixed borders that shows up on a map, and the kingdom of God that we are tasked with building, where we are to take the presence of God with us as his people into all the world, patch by patch, whatever the political powers or the government of that place are. We're almost not interested in who's the prime minister or president of a place. We're more interested by far in whether Jesus Christ is recognized as Lord in each spot, in each person that we meet there, and whether God's kingdom has been invited to rule in those areas. Jesus's good news, the good news that he preached and his challenge to the people that he spoke to when he was preaching around Jerusalem was, in Mark 1, verse 15, the kingdom of God is at hand, or near. Uh, Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus' announcement was double-edged. God has come. He's here. He's so close that you can reach out and grab him. That's great. So, you need to turn back to God. Make your relationship with him good. Jesus also said in Luke 4, verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because that's why I was sent. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why I was sent. So Jesus saw the teaching that he got to do, his teaching ministry, as bringing the good news of the kingdom of God to people far and wide. What he wanted us to understand was God's presence is available, yes. We need to get right with him. That looks like submitting to God as the Lord of our own lives. And we will see him ruling as king in our own lives if we do that, with all the good stuff that that brings. Okay, so there's a bit of background on Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God. Let's fast forward again to Jesus now briefing his disciples in Acts chapter 1 after the cross and the resurrection And Jesus is still teaching about the kingdom of God. So this wasn't just some sort of helpful tip that he threw out between miraculous feeding of 5,000 here and walking on water over there. This message of God's kingdom was central to what Jesus wanted us to get from his time with us here on earth. In fact, now that Jesus has completed the exchange of our sin and brokenness for his righteousness, he's defeated death and given us full life and everlasting life, through his dying and being raised to life again. He's opened up to each of us an ability 
to be close to God that our damaged and destructive selves could never have hoped for on our own. He has allowed us to enter the presence of God, to be carriers of his kingship, little moving spotlights of the kingdom of God who carry his light into the world around us and can invite more of him into the places we find ourselves through praying and worshiping him there. As we do that, we become carriers of God changing the world. Area by area, person by person. We become troop transport, little carriers for the Holy Spirit. But when we move into a place filled with his presence, instead of conquering any people with a sword or a big stick, we invite his love and let his light shine into lives. A light that brings release from captivity for the people around us and pushes back the hold that the darkness in this world has on the precious people that we have the honor of introducing to Jesus. So Jesus teaches the disciples about the kingdom of God. I reckon he'd have been telling them something like that, although probably better than I could put it this morning. I would love to offer you the podcast of Jesus' original. You might have to ask him for that yourselves. That's his, that's his teaching. That's what he gives the disciples, and they get it. Sort of. Except then they don't get it. <laughs> so skipping ahead to verse 6. The disciples are excited about Jesus becoming the emperor of the new Israel, sitting on the throne in a restored Jerusalem, kicking out the Roman Empire, and showing that God has won the victory by defeating all of God's enemies' armies with a big stick. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They, they sort of get it. God has won. Jesus was raised from the dead. That killing him didn't win. The enemies of God didn't get the final victory. But God's victory isn't going to look like they expect. God's kingdom isn't going to look like it did for Joshua. No more borders, boundaries, and flags. No more soldiers and fortresses guarding a physical location. God's kingdom has changed dimensions. No longer will there be the one place on earth to go and find God in a temple in Israel. Now, any of us can meet him. And we who know him can introduce anyone else to him. There's a lovely conversation between Jesus and the disciples in verses 6 to 8. And it's got some good you lines in it. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Let's skip to verse 7 if we may. Uh, oh, sorry, verse 8. But you will receive power, says Jesus to them. Oh, sorry, there's a bit in the middle of, nah, mate. <laughs> Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Nah, mate, I'm paraphrasing. You, he says to the disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you, disciples, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus, are you going to do the great big thing now? No, 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 I've got a better plan. You're going to be doing it. The kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing in wasn't that he would sit on a throne in Jerusalem for people to come to him. It was that we would be carrying his presence all over the world. So he would go with us, but in a different way. So that somebody in Peru, in Tanzania, even in the east corner of Fife, can meet God 
as a God carrier comes up to them and says, hi, can I invite the Holy Spirit to come and meet you? Let's pray, shall we? That kingdom that does not lift a sword in anger, but lifts up every place on the planet to the love of Father God, is far more powerful. So Jesus effectively says to them in verse 7, no. Which reminds me a little bit of the angel, the commander of the angel armies that we saw in Joshua chapter 5 a couple of weeks back. Just a quick, quick look there. Joshua 5, 13 and 14. Joshua was by Jericho. He lifted his eyes and behold, there was a man standing before him with a sword, a drawn sword in his hand. So Joshua went up to him and went, are you on our team or are you on their team? And he said, no, I'm the commander of the Lord. Now I've come, or the commander of the army of the Lord, sorry. And Joshua rightly falls on his face. Hey God, are you for my plan or for their plan? No. You're to fit into my plan, says the Lord. It's as if the disciples in our passage in Acts this morning are asking Jesus the wrong question. And Jesus' answer isn't actually no. God's plan may well involve restoring his kingdom to Israel one day. In fact, I believe it's to restore his kingdom fully to the whole world when Jesus comes again. Go and look at the book of Revelation if you want some more on that. But that's not the job that he's giving them for now. The job for now in verse 8, is be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. I once heard uh, Brother Andrew speak. He's a man who took great risks to get the gospel and to get Bibles into parts of the world where Christian faith was forbidden. And he said that each of us should be taking every opportunity we can to tell people about Jesus, to tell people that God is so close you could reach out and grab him whenever we can told a story of him being at a pedestrian crossing one day. He pressed the button, waited. The lights turned red, and our car pulled up waiting. It was a fast, flashy BMW. So he looked at the crossing, looked at his green light for the little man walking, went to the car, knocked on the window instead. The guy in the car was, what is this, wound the window down. He says, excuse me, do you know... I won't do the accent. Excuse me, do you know what BMW stands for? No. Be my witnesses. Jesus said, go into all the world and... <laughs> I find it so releasing, though, that we're to be witnesses. So encouraging that we're to be witnesses. Jesus doesn't ask us to be his lawyers, his advocates, his persuaders. We're not his army of arguers. And we're not to argue people into a relationship with God. We are just to tell people what we've seen. I said this a few weeks ago, the beginning of September, if you want to go and hear it more fully on the podcast, and I'll say just this bit again. Be my witnesses is literally Jesus' command here. And the freedom is that I can just point to what I've seen and say, God did this in my life, and I don't even have to know how. Some people are gifted with a special ability to answer tough questions. It's called apologetics, and that's a brilliant thing. But most of us are not told to be persuasive for him. We're not given the task of outthinking anyone philosophically. We're given the task of saying, look, mate, some woman at church said, come Holy Spirit, and my back was healed on the spot. That's all I need to know. We're not asked to debate. We're not asked to bang our fist. We are asked to shrug and point to Jesus. Honestly, actually, I happen to love chatting to people who have hard questions about Jesus. 
don't always have the answer, but I, I personally enjoy those conversations. But I've never yet heard of a person who came into a relationship with God because they lost an argument. I just want you to hear that. Never heard of anyone who came into a relationship with God through losing an argument. I've known plenty who came to call Jesus Christ their Lord because someone offered to pray with them and they met him. When it comes to telling people about Jesus, what you know will never be a patch on who you know. Jesus says, tell them what you've seen. Tell them what you experienced with me. And friends, if there's anyone here this morning who actually you haven't experienced anything of God yet, or you're not sure what you've seen or experienced, stick around. Come forward when we offer prayer. And when you do, and someone comes and says, what can I pray for for you? You say to them, I want to meet Jesus. I want to get to know God better myself right now. You're going to invite him to meet me. Just setting up a whole load of nervousness for our home group leaders there. <laughs> yeah, but do it though. Put them on the spot. They need some training. Be my witnesses is surely much, much easier than having to be armed with all of the answers. I can tell you, it is much more relatable too. In my own journey, as an arrogant as anything 18-year-old who was anti-Jesus, anti-the-church, and without to save any poor fool who followed religion and uh, teach them that science had all the answers, the youth worker who sat with me in a coffee shop and said when I asked him, all right, Christian, what about the dinosaurs, shrugged, said, I don't know, good question, find out about Jesus, find out about God, find out about his character and kind of how he set the world up, and then you come back and tell me, Jim. And actually, you know, not being fobbed off with a slick answer, but being confronted by this person who was able to shrug off a tough question by saying, yeah, it's a good one, but that doesn't change what I've seen in Jesus. That made me go and read a gospel and find out who this Jesus bloke was. What he knew did not persuade me. Who he knew got under my skin, got me hooked, until I found God for myself through being open to finding out about him. And here's the thing. If we were selling some lie, if we were selling some con trick, then the mystery would soon wear off. The, ooh, I wonder what they've got, would evaporate as soon as someone showed that God didn't do anything, actually, and that we were all deluded. But because the God we're pointing to is not just real, but he's reliable. Not just reliable, but he's good. Not just good, but he's loving, actually, and wants to be known, wants people to meet him. Then, time and time again, people do meet him. They do discover the light that their life was originally made for, and they become carriers of God's presence and God's kingdom themselves. Jesus does not just send us out with kind of poorly armed toolkits, but sends us out to be honest witnesses. Actually, he does even better than that. He doesn't just send us out as witnesses. He sends us out with power. Still in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. God's plan for spreading his kingdom wasn't just words. He equipped us for the job of being his witnesses by 
coming with us. And he so graciously, so kindly and generously answers the prayers of his people when we ask him to show his love for people because he wants to be known by them. So when I pray for someone and I ask for God's presence to become tangible, that they could even feel or become aware of the presence of God, for him to show the person that he loves them, or even when I ask him for a word or a picture that I couldn't possibly know without his supernatural help, or to heal that person even. God doesn't just answer those prayers. In fact, God doesn't answer those prayers to make me look good, just in case uh, anyone was under that illusion. God is not in the business of helping Jim to show off. What he does want is to meet that person. I was uh, once invited into a sixth form college whilst Rachel and I were living and working in England to be a guest at a religious studies lesson, a real-life Christian who the 16-year-olds could look at and poke a bit. And I was answering their questions about hearing from God because they were fascinated that I would own up to such a nutcasey thing quite so easily as I did. Are you hearing from God? Uh, And they said, so what's it like? And I was explaining, use an example. Uh, A young lady sat here. um, Say I was praying for you. I'm not doing this. No one needs to call the head teacher or the police. I'm not praying for you. But say I was praying for you. Then uh, this is not a thing. I'm not. But say I was. Uh, And then I felt like I should ask, how's your mum doing? Uh, How was her hospital appointment today? I'm not doing this. But say I said that. Uh, Then it would go a bit like that. Her face went white. She looked at the teacher, who looked at me in panic, and they started explaining, no, look, Elizabeth, Jim didn't know that. This is not a plant. He didn't do this thing. It's just a coincidence. No one's told him about your mother's hospital appointment. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Lord. (laughs) So I was in for two classes back-to-back. Same same lesson repeated to two different groups. And uh, the teacher said to me afterwards, yeah, good example. You didn't mean it, Jim. I know you would. Yeah, it's fine. Right. And the next class comes in, I play it super safe. I'm, like, I'm going to explain this again, but I'm going to pick the same seat, whoever sat in it, and the same example, and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I can tell you, God is up for making me look pretty comical, actually. But more importantly than that, and more truly, than that, don't get me wrong, that did happen, both of those two classes, I wasn't invited back. (laughs) More importantly to him, he's sure as heck in the business of letting other people know that he sees them and that he loves them. And sometimes in his great kindness, he even uses me to do that, just as he uses many of you. Well, I suspect he laughs at me a bit more. Most of my experiences of God's power poured out on me and through me to those, and those that I've known of other people's to be his witnesses have been far more intentional, far more deliberate than that example. He's far more often allowed me to pray with someone, to invite him to come and show his love to them, and then brought to them a confirmation that he's really doing something with a power from his Holy Spirit that I couldn't possibly begin to hope to mimic on my own. So God, in his kindness sends his people out to be his witnesses with his power to take his presence to establish his kingdom. Just quickly, what does that look like? What power do we mean? Let's take a very quick look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 3 to 11. 
And we're not even going to dig into this much. I'm just going to read it to you. Let's see. Uh, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed or Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kind of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. It's not that different gods show up when you're doing a healing than when you're doing a... This is our Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wanted to meet his people. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given, through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different types of tongues, uh, kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Those nine gifts listed there, they're all for the mission. They're all for bringing in the kingdom of God to a place, drawing God's people into a closer relationship with him, and drawing people who aren't yet God's people into that invitation that he makes. God is interested in getting people's attention, showing them that he loves them, and bringing healing even as he does so. These gifts are all, I would argue, useful for, if not designed for, Acts 1.8, receiving power so that we can be his witnesses in St. Andrews, in East Fife, and to the ends of the earth. So, ask him for them. Lord, would you use us as your witnesses? Would you give to us your power, more of you, Lord, for our relationship with you? and for carrying your kingdom into the kingdom of Fife and beyond. Ask the Lord for his presence, and then for words of knowledge, for healing, for miracles, for prophecy, for gifts as each situation that you find yourself in would require. And I pray that when a situation arises where you would benefit from having one of these gifts to hand, to witness God's love and truth, that God gives it to you. I think actually, often, He's more up for giving it than we are for asking. One final word on this passage, and this is where I'm going to leave us this morning. In verse 4, Jesus tells the disciples to wait. Wait in Jerusalem. I confess that until preparing the talk for this morning, I've never stopped and paid attention to what Jesus was asking of them. Stay. Wait. in that place where they've just seen the authorities put Jesus to death in a brutal way. It's not the sit still, twiddle your thumbs that I've always sort of skim read it as. It's quite an ask, actually. Do not depart from Jerusalem as you have every reason to want to, but wait in that hostile city with people actively looking to kill you. Wait in that uncertainty. Ouch. And I don't think we wait on God enough. I don't think that we are well practiced in waiting on him. Even in a style of prayer where we're meant to be listening to him for someone else. 
I think we need to take longer to wait on him, to allow him to be in control even of the timescale of our prayers, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable. Mike Pilavacci, who leads Soul Survivor, often says when people are prayer ministering to each other, don't kill it with words. What he means is, don't squash what God is slowly building up in someone because you can't bear the awkward silence anymore. And so you blurt out some not quite helpful prayer to fill in the gap because you're British. If you're not British, well done. This might not be an issue for you. Come, Lord. Okay, thank you, Lord, that you love them and they're really nice and amen. Yeah, Lord is nice. But he might have been about to give you a word for that person that would have changed that poor guy's life. God bless you. (laughs) What if, in our praying for each other, we sacrifice even our own awkwardness to God? It's his mission we're on. It's his power that he's giving us to operate in. And it can be his timing. Yes, it can be uncomfortable, but our obedience to God in that discomfort can often serve as the reset to stop us running away with a half-baked good intention and miss his actual golden nugget. Wait in the uncomfortable place and see what the Father has for you. That's Jesus' instruction to his disciples before he sends them to carry out the kingdom, and I think there's a good lesson in there for us as we shrug and point to him asking for him to lead us, for him to be the king in our lives. Acts is a really exciting book. Ours, brothers and sisters in Christ, is a really exciting heritage. These people who went before us, being Jesus' witnesses, have received power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, have been faithful workers in building God's kingdom on earth. And it's our turn now to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be his witnesses in St. Andrews and East Fife and to the ends of the earth. And I am so excited to see what happens next. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for you.